Thanks for joining us today on the NateHoldridge.com podcast. Today, we're continuing a conversation about this man, Nehemiah, and specifically about his response to the ruins that Jerusalem was in at this particular time in history. What we'll see is that Nehemiah uh, didn't run away. He didn't cower in fear. He didn't get upset necessarily. But first, he cried out to God in prayer. And so in this conversation, we're going to look at that. Why did Nehemiah cry out to God in prayer first? And how did this kind of shape him as a man and as a leader in the Old Testament? So without further ado, let's get into this conversation and hear what Pastor Nate has to say about this great man, Nehemiah. Have you ever cried during a sermon, like when you're preaching? Yeah. Yeah, have you? Yeah, yeah. I don't do it a lot, but there are times that I get pretty emotional. The last time that it happened to me was actually, I don't know if you'd categorize it as a sermon, but it was yeah. during the Bible college class that I was teaching uh, down at Calvary Chapel Bible College in Marietta. Mm. And I was teaching actually through, lo and behold, the book of Nehemiah <laughs> really? that we're going to be talking about today. And uh, I always, in that class, there's this por- part at the end of the book of Nehemiah, which it comes on the last day of the class or the last part of that class, where <clears throat> there's men who volunteered themselves to go move into Jerusalem. Mm, and yeah. I try to do a lot of talking to the class just about how not everyone's called to vocational ministry and mm-hmm. such a small percentage of them in that class will ever be called to vocational church ministry where they're working on a church staff. Yeah. But at that point in the class, I just end up trying to really plead with everybody, mm. uh, especially the guys in the class and plead with the men, especially the young men, especially to consider the potential mm. of a pastoral calling on their lives and to study accordingly and to work toward, you know, something like that. Mm. And so this last time, yeah, I started crying uh, wow. and just like my desire for the church. I think yeah. what kind of got me yeah. emotional was just thinking about the fact that there's a God in heaven who loves people and has a work that he's trying to do yeah. and he is looking for men and women in all kinds of different ways but definitely is also looking for pastors yeah. to be an expression of his heart here on earth and oh, I, yeah. that got me a little emo during that's that so time, funny yeah. <laughs> i feel like i've done the same thing <clears throat> excuse me but and for similar reasons during a time when I'm leading worship or teaching or something mm-hmm. like that too. But how about you? Do you teach, do, you, do you cry? Like, <laughs> oh, every time. Is man. it like every point? <laughs> every single time, man. I just can't control it. It's probably more crying than speaking, you know. But no, I'm there's playing. something there's something really powerful and touching about that. I remember one yeah. pastor that I knew who it almost felt like every sermon he would cry, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and. There's just a, a sweetness about that. You know, I would love yeah. the Lord to work on my heart, love for the Lord to work on my heart to the point where I did have that tenderness mm. and that sensitivity, like each, you know, maybe not every time, but right, just right. more. So he's working on me. We're a work in progress. <laughs> That's cool to hear, though. I, I was curious because in this article, you talk about Nehemiah's response yeah. to the things that he heard about the people from his city. And there's like this thing that happened inside of him where he cried out to God and he cried out in prayer. Yeah. And um, you, you talk about how he physically was weeping for the people and he was praying on their behalf to God. 
And so it's just interesting to hear kind of a similar thing from you as well. And before we get into this article talking about just like that moment in his life, would you mind kind of walking us through the story so far? There's probably people who are listening to this who haven't um, heard the first episode that we did kind of about um, what was happening with the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. Could you kind of talk to us about what was going on that led up to this moment yeah, for sure. Nehemiah? Well, you know, some people might be saying to themselves, gosh, it just sure seems like Nate is writing a lot and We're talking a lot about the book of Nehemiah. And, you know, to that, I would just say you should probably get used to that. Because <laughs> I love Nehemiah. I love yeah. the story of Nehemiah. And That's I just funny. say, you know, forgive me if I'm beating a dead horse at some point. But, yeah, so, you know, the, the city of Jerusalem had become desolate. Jerusalem, correct. Right. Because of uh, the Babylonians coming in years earlier. Right, right. And um, basically pulling the Israelites into captivity. Mm-hmm. did leave some people in town, but because of the Babylonian invasion and the stiff necked nakedness, <laughs> that doesn't sound right. The hard heartedness yeah. of the people, they wouldn't listen to Jeremiah, who was kept telling them, just surrender. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like you're not going to defeat the Babylonians. This is God's will. He's going to bring you into captivity. Just go. Yeah. But because they resisted for so long, it forced Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to actually attack and lay mm. siege against Jerusalem. So walls were broken down, gates burnt with fire. And, you know, 70 plus years later, that was still the case. Yeah. And kind of a, a ruinous town, you know, not that there weren't people that were, you know, loosely populating the area. Ezra in his time has already passed tent. Ezra is still alive and on the scene during right. Nehemiah's time. So some people have moved back to try to rebuild the temple mm-hmm. and they're living on the outskirts of town, but Jerusalem itself is still fractured and broken. Yeah. So Nehemiah asks his brother who'd gone to Jerusalem, he asks him, Hey, what was it like there? And he hears about the sad state of Jerusalem. And so yeah. that's what kicks him into sadness and then prayer yeah. for the situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Thanks for refreshing our brains about that. I'd love for us to kind of talk about this moment when he hears about what happens in the city and he starts to cry out to God because you make some really cool points about the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. Mm-hmm. So if you're down for it, I'd love just to talk to you kind of like the three things that you laid out sure. um, in the prayer. The first was that you talked about who Nehemiah prayed to. And this was um, really cool to me because you pointed out that Nehemiah started off his prayer by addressing God, but not only addressing God, but by calling him these names that really characterized who God is and his power and his might. So can you kind of talk to us about what that prayer looked like for Nehemiah and why is it special and like kind of significant that he would address God like that at the beginning of his prayer? Yeah. So the, the, the big thing is he called him, he said, the Lord God of heaven. Yeah. And and that's actually uh, a title for God or a, a name for God that although you'd find it in the rest of the old Testament, it was pretty, it was more common in the post exilic uh, mm. literature. And so what that means is, after the exile in Babylon, the prophets and guys like Nehemiah would refer to him as the Lord God of heaven. Mm. And and the concept there is that here they are in a less than ideal state. 
Yeah. You know, things aren't as they, they should be. And so they're remembering that there's this God mm. in heaven who sees their sad state and condition. Yeah. And <clears throat> so, you know, as he goes to the Lord, you know, it, I guess maybe a way that we would think about it is that he's getting God in view, yeah. you know, before he, and Seems as like he it. launches mm-hmm. into prayer. I mean, which, which makes sense. You, you're praying to God. You're crying out to God. It yeah. makes sense that you would want to have him in focus, you know. I mean, imagine like pulling out your phone and trying to take a picture of somebody, you know, and you've got mm-hmm. the little, you know, thing on your screen where you can drag your finger around yeah, and yeah. choose where is my camera going to mm. focus? And this is like Nehemiah, as he begins to sorrow and he's feeling all this pain, he starts crying out, but rather than focusing on friends or setting mm. his focus on his own feelings or setting his focus on just general, you know, uh, personal like conversation of despair, yeah. he finds God, you know, and he sets his focus upon the Lord and that's where it becomes prayer you know is mm. actually crying out to the Lord but by praying that way about God you know the God of heaven he's immediately beginning to set his mind not just on God but on the on the God who is powerful yeah who has that. ability who has mm. strength and you know this is really important as we just go through even the even the mundane stuff of yeah. life mm-hmm. because to have a consciousness that God is strong enough, that he's able, that he's powerful, and that as we turn to him, that he hears us, that he sees. I mean, these are important concepts for us as we're going through the difficulties and the pains and the sorrows of life. Hmm. So he sets his attention upon you know God right away. It's real similar, like I said in the article, to Jesus when he taught his disciples how to pray and he said pray like this our father in heaven yeah you know mm-hmm. there's that 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 consciousness or that concept that God is above us he's bigger than us he's stronger than us he's in heaven he's heavenly he's holy he's good he's righteous but also heavenly in that he's powerful mm-hmm. and majestic and wonderful and you know I I think that there's a there's a sense in which, if that's really in your heart, if that's really in your mind, if that's really who you think you're talking to, you're probably going to be a little more gutsy in prayer mm-hmm. than if you yeah. think of God as someone who's very small and very limited. So what he was going to pray for and eventually ask for from King Artaxerxes, it was swing for the fences, mm. big kind of stuff. Yeah, I heard a friend of mine recently say, like, why would you have a dream before God that is small and boring. God is not small and boring. Why would you have that? You know, think about who God is and be willing to go to him with something that is larger than yourself wow. and yeah. outside of what's possible with just you and your own strength. And so Nehemiah, it's like he's he's getting ready. You know, they teach you in baseball with a baseball swing, you know, yeah, to yeah. you want to back load. You you kind of mm. pull back before you lunge forward in that Uh, swing you are loading you are loading for the explosive swing that that you're about to you know that you're kind of springing up for it like a like a spring that is being wound and then released (laughs) that's what he's doing he's loading up for this prayer and he's loading up for it not by buttering god up or saying like you're beautiful i just want you to know you're awesome you know kind of thing it's not at all what's going on 
in order to ask for what he's going to ask for, he has to have a big concept of who God is. So that, that's, that's kind of what I think seems to be going on with his heart as he begins in prayer. Oh, yeah, and through the way that he moves through this book, I, I think you're right. I think that's totally in his heart. That's a really cool way of viewing it. I love that analogy of the baseball player loading it up. Uh, he asked for some big things. You talk about the things that Nehemiah confessed before God, and you talk about how he confessed the sins of the people, and he did do that, but it seems like he spent a good chunk of his prayer um, confessing some sin just on his own behalf and his father's behalf and the family and uh, people before him. And I was wondering if you could kind of talk to us about that. There's, it seemed like there was something special happening between Nehemiah and God where God saw his humility and was kind of honoring that. And he was mm-hmm. kind of looking for a man who was being humble before him and <clears throat> confessing sin. Can you talk, kind of talk to us about like what that what does that look like in prayer and what does that do for us like between us and God what does God think about that Yeah what what he does in this in this part of the prayer it it always to me shocks me Yeah feels almost wrong It feels uncomfortable until I have to do it <laughs> And then I get it yeah. and I say oh okay hmm. I'm so frustrated yeah. with, for instance, one of my children just being way stubborn and unwilling to yield and to bend their will and hear reason and adjust. And then as I pray, I start finding out that I need to confess to the Lord mm. for the way that I haven't been open to him and his leadership in my life and how I have been stubborn and unwilling mm. to bend my That's will good. to him. I, you know, will cry out to the Lord for some injustice or some mm. pocket of pain in our community that I see. And then the Lord, as I am kind of thinking about those who are oppressing or mm. ignoring, I begin to discover, you know, I ignore and I oppress. And so I think there's a sense in which Mm. it feels so weird. You know, can you read about that? Daniel does a similar kind of thing. All these guys, they do this thing where they're, it's like, it's not your fault, man. Like you didn't do it. (laughs) And then they start confessing (laughs) on behalf of everybody else. And they start confessing their own sins. Like we did this and I did that. And me and my father's house, you know, that's how Nehemiah is praying. And you kind of want to stop and just jump into the story and be like, stop praying like that. You're awesome. You're so awesome. Yeah. You don't need to pray that way. But then when it happens to you, you start realizing, no, I do need to do that. I do need Uh to lower myself. You know, the, the reality is there's this holy, righteous, perfect God and the gospel communicates to us that we all are in need of his grace, that yeah. we all are in need of his mercy. And so you could be sitting there praying for someone who has given themselves over to a sexual appetite mm-hmm. and they have just run in all kinds of un Um, healthy, disobedient kinds of directions. They've totally ignored God's word. They've made a mess of their own lives and maybe even their family and their relationships that they're in. And you could be sitting there praying for that person. And yeah, you didn't do that. But if you're honest before the Lord, you'll know that you're capable Mm. and that 
even in the quiet of your own heart, you can feel that temptation pulling Mm -hmm. upon you. And to go to the Lord and to be able to say, Lord, I know that there's a thing in there. I pray that you forgive me, cleanse me, wash me. Mm -hmm. So this is beautiful. It's just confession, you know, that Nehemiah is giving unto God. You kind of close out the article by talking about how Nehemiah remembered about God, about God's character. And this is always something that's pretty fascinating to me about prayer, especially when you look in the Old Testament, some of these guys who are praying, they start to pray to God about who he is and just remembering his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. But I think that for some of us, maybe... um, just like a cultural thing, I think that we oftentimes ap- approach prayer and we just kind of ask God for a lot of things. And it's natural. I think God wants us to ask him for things. He wants us, wants us to offload things onto him. But it's hard for us to kind of pray about who God is. And so I was wondering, we haven't like read the scripture or anything like that, but could you kind of talk to us about like how Nehemiah did that? What did that look like to remember God's character in prayer yeah. And uh, if you have any thoughts about just like how we can kind of incorporate that into our prayer lives as well. Yeah, sure. The, the reality is if you know who God is, you'll know what to pray for. Mm. You know, if you don't know who God is, you have no clue what to pray for. The more you know who God is, the more you know what to pray for. Mm. So Nehemiah, he knew That's who good. God was. And so he started talking to God about the covenants that God had made with the people of Israel. By, by knowing that about God and, and in a sense praying that back to God, it's not like God mm. forgot the covenants. Right. But Nehemiah, what he's going to be praying for is a return of God's people, a reinvigorating of God's people, a reestablishing of Jerusalem. And in order for him to pray that way, he had to get in touch with who God is. God is, a, is the one, you're the one who made a covenant with Abraham, yeah. Isaac, and Jacob. And he's reminding God of the covenant, but more so he's reminding himself in prayer of the God who who made those wow. covenants yeah. so that he knows what to pray for. Mm. So, you know, if God to a person is just a genie in the bottle, then, you know, and you're, you're praying to him without any consciousness of who he is, then it's God, give me a Ferrari. God, right. give me more money. God, give me the promotion. You know, it's just a gimme, 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 you know, mm-hmm. kind of prayer life. But but when you know who God is, you know, and we mostly know God by looking to the cross. So when you look yeah. to the cross of Christ and you realize, why did he do that? Because God desires that none would perish, but mm-hmm. that all would have everlasting life. So man, I'm going to pray about that. This is who you are Here's yeah. the community that I'm living in. So I want to pray for the, the church. I want to pray for uh, evangelism. I want to pray for the gospel to spread. I want to pray for the people in my life who don't know you, that their hearts will be softened before you. By starting with who God is, you begin to know more what to pray for. Uh, as you look into your own life and heart, your own character, you know, and yeah. it's not necessarily that you're just to kind of look and say like, what kind of person would I like to be, you know, and, and I'm just going to pray about that, that I'd be able to be that kind of person, you know, God make me powerful. I want to be dynamic or confident right, or something right. like that. But you look at who God is, God, you're loving. I want to have more of that. God, right. you're holy. I want to be more clean and, yeah. and righteous and holy. God, you're so patient. I want mm. to be patient. You know, as you learn about who God is, you know more and more how to pray uh, for yourself. 
So Nehemiah, he just knew who God was. And by knowing who God is, he got a bigger clue on how to pray. Yeah. You know, you look at maybe like a structure that you're in, you know, maybe like a school system or something like that. And the temptation is just to pray for every person in authority that they would get out of your way. Mm. Rather than realizing that there's a God who, you know, loves those people, cares about those people. And so, you know, you're praying for them from that vantage point. But also, you know, that God is able to take all the stuff of your life and use it together for his, for your good and his mm-hmm. glory. Yeah, and as you realize that about God, that mm-hmm. truth about God, then you're praying for those people in a different kind of light. Like that person right. might be hard for me, Lord. I'm having a difficult time with them. Give me patience to be able to deal with that. But I pray that you'd use this, you know, in mm-hmm. my life. So again, I, ke- I keep saying it, but the more that you know who God is, the more you'll know what to pray for. I love that. It's a great, succinct way of saying it. It's really good. Kind of closing this out, Nate, how how would you encourage someone to kind of cultivate this kind of prayer life before God? It seems like Nehemiah, it was just like inside of him to be to pray like this. It was such a deep response. It felt like, it seems like it was just like so like guttural in a sense, like that. It was just his first thing. He had his cry out to God. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how how do we kind of cultivate this mm-hmm. in our lives? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and I'm being really honest about yeah. that. In a sense, in a sense, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to give this to someone. To yeah. be honest, you know, I know how to describe it. I know how to give advice about it. You know, mm. try this, try that. I know how to say all those kind of things, but I just, uh, I know that I cannot put the fear of the Lord in mm. anybody's heart, and that is where a prayer life comes from. Right. That's where that urgency comes from. This sense that I cannot do this alone. I need the strength of God. I need the help of God. The sense that, you know, even after the trial has abated, I still am desperate for God. That's just the kind of thing that, you know, I I don't know how to give that to somebody. I don't know how to put that in somebody. That's only the Lord, the Holy Spirit that can drive that into someone's heart. So in a sense, you know, I I really genuinely (laughs) feel that way. Like, you know, I I don't know. I don't Mm. know how to really, truly put that in someone's life. I'm very confident that I cannot. God must do that in you and for you. Mm. But here's another thing that I believe. I believe that where your treasure is, there will your your heart be also. Jesus said that. I believe that as you stretch out your life, God will meet you there. Mm. He clearly wants us to be a people of prayer. The man with the withered hand, when Jesus said, stretch out your hand, could have just said, I don't know how to do that. I don't get it. I've never been able to do that. I've tried before. He could have said all those things, and he could have still had a withered hand. But he Mm. stretched his hand out, and as his hand went out, the power of Christ met him. Peter could have said, I can't walk Mm. on water. You're doing it. I can't do it. But instead, he said, if that's you, call me out of the boat, and I will walk I will come to you. You know, Paul said it to the Philippian church. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. But that as you do that, God will actually enable you as you're stretching out your faith. His power will meet you in that moment. So I don't understand exactly how that works or how that looks, but I'm just confident to be able to say, I know I can't do it. 
I know I can't put that in you. I know that I haven't even been able to put that in myself. But I do also know that the little bit that we give, the five loaves and the two fish mm-hmm. that we have, the little part of us that steps out and says, I'm going to carve out 15 minutes. I'm going to carve out 30 minutes. I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to crowd to God. I'm going to pour out my heart to him. If we make that commitment, if we if we show up in prayer, I just have to believe that there is a God in heaven who by his spirit will propel you forward in the years to come. His power can meet you in that moment. You know, at some point, we got to believe that God's alive. At some point, you got to operate like God lives, like he exists. Mm -hmm. And at some point, it's not going to happen through seven points that we read in the greatest, latest intellectual Christian mind. Mm -hmm. At some point, it comes down to God's real He's there for me. I got to stretch myself out before him and pray. And, you know, when Nehemiah did this, it lasted for a while. He mm. prayed on this first day. It's recorded for us in Nehemiah 1, but it was took a few months before he actually got mm. to meet with Artaxerxes. Right. And that was a time for that prayer to not be the same prayer with the same energy, yeah. but to just kind of percolate over time. Mm. And and he just kept praying. He kept praying. He kept praying. I read recently E.M. Bounds in a book on prayer. He talked about how, you know, when you're praying by faith, you're praying with the understanding that your prayer is not going to be honored immediately at mm. all times. I was just talking to a guy actually a few minutes ago who huh. said, like, it was the craziest thing. I needed a car. I prayed that the Lord would give me a car. And, that, and then, like, a, an hour later, I got a ride from a guy who said, I want to give you a car. Wow. But the reason we marvel at that is because we understand that's not normative. Yeah. Right. Normally, the way that it works is there is a gap between our initial prayer and when that prayer is honored oh, yeah. or answered and is evident to us. There's a mm-hmm. spiritual war that we're in. We got to remember that. And Ian Bounds, the point that he made, he just said, "Faith, it's it's the it's the thing in the Christian that causes them to say this is the metal of the prayer that I'm mm-hmm. praying. This is the guts of the prayer that I'm praying." I'm expecting that there's going to be delay. I'm expecting there's going to be quiet. I'm expecting that there's going to be times where I don't understand what's going on. But still, I will pray to the Lord. I will trust in the Lord. I will have faith in the Lord. So, you know, it's called the shield of faith for a reason, you know? (laughs) Like, you have to believe that the Lord is working for you and on your behalf. So that's really important, you know, as we cry out to the Lord to just continue to believe and trust that, you know, God's going to meet us, that he's able. All right. Thanks for joining us in this conversation about Nehemiah's response. If you'd like to hear or look through any of Pastor Nate's uh, resources or articles or past podcasts, please go to nateholders.com. All of his info is there. The resources are accessible there. And we pray that those are really helpful for you in your Christian life and development. So, With that, have a great day. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode here on the nateholdridge.com podcast. God bless you.